Well, good morning, and thanks so much for joining us Tuesday morning as we enjoy another day of great mild plus temperatures for a big chunk of the province, and that is going to be the trend that we see through most of the week. Well, we've been watching things unfold since October 7th in the Middle East. October 7th, the day that Hamas attacked Israel, and since then, it's been constant images and updates of the war between Israel and Hamas. And while this is going on, it affects so many people here in Canada. We have a lot of people who have family members overseas who are watching closely because communities are affected right here at home. The Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, or CJA as it's known, represents diverse perspectives of over 150,000 Jewish Canadians affiliated with their local Jewish federation. They do a lot of work to uh, work on strategies and ensure that leaders in, in government, in media, in society understand both the Jewish perspective on different things and, of course, when public policy is being discussed in our country, they want to be forefront in there to ensure that that Jewish rights and uh, important things are considered. They have recently decided following that Hamas terrorist attack that happened, as I mentioned, October the 7th, that they want to organize a Canadian mission. And that's exactly what they've done. They've got a group of Canadians that have traveled over to Israel to witness the destruction, the emotional impact firsthand by meeting survivors, evacuees, and visiting the sites of the attacks. One of those people is Chad Rogers. Chad is a partner at Crestview Strategy based in Toronto. He's a lobbyist and a sought-after media commentator. You might have seen him as part of the Power Panel on Power and Politics on TV. Chad joins us this morning live from Israel. And Chad, I'm very happy that you were able to connect with us today. You there, Chad? No, we might have lost them. Connections, uh, you know, sometimes maybe doesn't work. We might have lost them there. We will, uh, we will get him back. But this group of people, and it's, it's a fairly, you know, I think I, I saw about 20 names on the list that have traveled over to Israel to, uh, ultimately look to not only make this connection, but I think understand the impact that it's having on people in that country and, uh, how I would say that that impacts us back here as well, because this is something that every day we're seeing protests in the street. We're seeing people asking the Canadian government to speak up on different issues. Our, in our government, the Canadian government has been criticized many, many times about, you know, the fact that they haven't clarified their stance when it comes to the genocide claims against Israel. Remember this? South Africa filed that case at the International Court of Justice accusing Israel of committing a Palestinian genocide in its invasion of Gaza. Lots of people and lots of countries in G7 countries have have come out and supported the fact that Israel's attack against Hamas is retaliatory and is not targeting Palestinian people, thus doesn't meet the standard of genocide. U.S. came out and said that the case is merit, meritless, the case that South Africa is bringing forward. Germany applied, actually, to the court to be intervener status to testify on Israel's behalf. France dismissed the accusations as a political ploy. The British Prime Minister said that this case is completely unjustified and wrong. And yet, sadly, 
Canada has basically taken this stance. We're going to respect whatever the ruling is that is made. All right. I think we now have Chad on the phone. I'll check in again. Chad, are you there? Good morning. Hi, good morning, Chad. Thanks so much for uh, for being willing to to join us. Morning here, uh, not there. What time of day is it over there? It's uh, supper time. Supper time. Well, thanks so much for taking our uh, our call. Talk a little bit about the the benefit and the reason of this trip that you're on with Sija over to Israel. So we assembled a group of non-Jewish Canadian community leaders and business people to take them here to Israel and, and run a fairly intense schedule, physically and emotionally to go visit uh, the sites where attacks happened, to meet with families of the hostages, to speak to folks, frankly, on all sides, about what it's been like to live in Israel since October 7, uh, but to do it in a way where it's not listening to uh, you know anyone's political argument or lecture, but it's sitting down with uh, folks who've been directly affected uh, uh, and going out to the sites where things happen to bear witness ourselves. So what what have you seen? You've only been over there a short time so far, Chad, correct? So we landed Sunday afternoon uh, and then immediately started into meetings uh, with families of hostages uh, and uh, families of folks uh, who were murdered on October 7th. Then uh, uh, we've been on the road now constantly in and out of the Gaza envelope uh, going into the communities that have been evacuated, uh, that were attacked, um, and going uh, to look at uh, specific sites uh, relevant to what happened on October 7th, October 8th, uh, uh, to go there firsthand. Today, we're, we're, we're just on the bus coming back now uh, from going uh, a little bit into the north to meet with the Druze community, one of the Muslim minorities uh, uh, in Israel, uh, to talk about to the Druze community about uh, the, the number of Druze who are serving in the military uh, and, uh, and and the losses they've suffered uh, mm-hmm. in this conflict. Can you describe for us, Chad, what, what you've seen and and how it's made you feel? Well, uh, the most shocking part is that while 139 hostages remain in captivity, what person after person has told us, whether there's someone who lost someone, someone who has a family member who's hostage, someone who, just, someone who was just affected by the attacks or a normal citizen here in Tel Aviv, they all feel frozen in time and that nothing can change in their lives, that this war as it is isn't about the daily report of what's happened in the conflict. It's that they're stuck until the hostages get released. And it's it's felt on a on an almost molecular level here, and it's changed people. It's changed what politics means. It's changed what right and left means. It's changed how people feel safe uh, and, and what the promise of Israel for a lot of people was supposed to be. Um, so I, I would say that there's a lot of horrible stories that I've now heard firsthand about things that happened. But, but what's sticking in my mind more is the notion that this is a country of people that are entirely stuck and will be until uh, the hostages are returned. Chad Rogers, my guest this morning, a partner at Crestview Strategy, who's based in Toronto, also a lobbyist, uh, media commentator, as I mentioned, recurring member of Power Panel on uh, power and politics. So, Chad, do you get a sense then that there is strong support in Israel for their government's actions to try and eradicate Hamas and obviously get those hostages released? Yes and no. Um, the average Israelis we've talked to uh, have had as much criticism for the government as they've had support for their military. 
And what I would say is that the Israel we've talked to is very different than the political government led by the prime minister. Um, Israelis uh, have been quite honest with us that they feel the army screwed up and didn't respond fast enough in anticipating what happened October 7th uh, or uh, responding physically quickly enough to people who were in threat. But that doesn't mean they've lost faith. They, they just want to hear people apologize for what went wrong and tell them how it's cha- how they're changing the approach so that it won't happen that way again. Politically, a real diverse set of views about how they feel about how the government's doing in this moment, but absolutely resolute that, that the war needs to be fought until two things happen. All the hostages are returned, number one, and that the threat they're living with every day goes down. You know, we, we, we talk to people who've been evacuated today, who, who used to live on a kibbutz about uh, two kilometers from the border with Gaza, used to have Gazan workers on their farms every day, who are now uh, those that, that of the 900 of them, 69 were murdered on October 7. So they're now living in a temporary facility uh, as refugees within their own country. And they, they want to be strong and talk about their desire to go home. But they said, look, there's some members of the community that are never, you know, the government saying, we'll build you a new house from the house that burned down. But, you know, some people are, are, are frantically, you know, asking, do I want to live in a house in which a member of my family was murdered? Mm-hmm. Do I want to return to the life I led before this happened? Uh, I don't know. Um, the, the one thing everyone makes clear to us is issue one before you discuss anything else is the hostages and constant pressure and focus on the issue of the release of the hostages. And the country can't think about anything else. You, you see um, dog tags. Uh, uh, they've made a dog tag that says, bring them home, um, that in, in Hebrew, English, and Arabic, and everyone's wearing them. So if you see a waiter in a restaurant, if you see someone walking on the street, everyone's wearing these, these dog tags. Like there's, a, there's a moment of national focus. And, and what's interesting is when you try and talk about what's next, how should this play out, what's your expectation, people are very clear. You're not allowed to talk about anything else until the hostage issue is resolved mm. because we fear that, that any further discussion takes the focus off the hostages or lets people off the hook that that's not the most important issue. Chad Rogers, my the, guest. The second issue is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, yeah, go ahead Chad. Then the second issue is removing the threat that, that Hamas can't cross the border and attack people the same way again. And they want answers about what the failings were about October 7 so that they know the government, uh, the military, the intelligence services have a plan that it doesn't happen again. So I have two questions, Chad, that come from exactly what you just said, and I'll, I'll talk about the most recent first. Is is there a way, do, do you get a sense there is a way that that threat from Hamas can be reduced to the point that people will feel safe again? I don't know, and I'm cautious as someone who, you know, doesn't have intelligence sitting in front of them and isn't a foreign policy expert. Um, but but what it, average Israelis have told us is that they've participated in peace process after peace process. They have uh, uh, built a security fence. They've negotiated economic permits. But but one of the problems when international visitors come here and say, how do you get to peace and how do you get to negotiation? is that Israel has not been without trying and not been without effort in the last 20 years. Has it been perfect? No. But Hamas is a political movement where the first uh, part of its charter is the destruction of Israel, and the second part of its charter is the death of all Jews in the world. So so there's not uh, a negotiating partner there that seeks in good faith uh, uh, to reach some sort of negotiated peaceful outcome. Uh, when we hear the racist chant from the river to the sea, um, uh, that's not a cute historical political opinion. 
that is a coded signal to say all Jews between the River Jordan uh, and the sea should be removed. And removed just doesn't mean moved to Winnipeg. Uh, uh, it means removed from the earth. So, so what uh, a number of Jewish Israelis who, who've been affected by the conflict directly tell me is, when outsiders look at the conflict, why won't they take Hamas at their word that that's actually what they're trying to do? So, so no one knows. How do you, without cruelty or brutality, remove the threat of a neighbor two kilometers away that wants to fly a paraglider filled with, uh, with a gunman filled with explosives that will land and then walk around a kibbutz and kill uh, old people and children? Um, I don't know. Like the, the the scope of the horror here uh, uh, in the people we've talked to firsthand really. I, I don't know. I haven't been able to unpack on what it actually means. But what I can say about the country and what's next, there is no what's next so long as those 139 people are in captivity. Chad Rogers live in Israel as we speak. Um, my other question from one of the, the comments that you had made is now that you've been over there and you've had the opportunity to interact with everyday Israelis and see and feel, as you've so well described, the impact that it's having on that country – are we back here in Canada getting a true depiction of what's going on, or are we getting it only through the military lens? Uh, I, I think that there's a there's a level of nuance of the willingness of the average Israeli to criticize their own government or to criticize their military when they've done things wrong that doesn't come through the war coverage. Uh, I'm shocked at, even compared to the way a Canadian would reply, uh, uh, when talking about their armed forces or their actions abroad, there's a willingness to say, uh, mistakes have been made. Uh, and, and, you know, people are going to have to change at the senior ranks of, of government, uh, after this. And the way things were done are going to have to change. So there's a, there's not a notion that just because it's a country at war, you're not allowed to criticize. And I don't know that that's how we always behave in Canada and the U.S. Sometimes there's that rallying cry that when, when we're in a moment of conflict, you're not allowed to criticize people. It represents weakness. Israelis are pretty fearless, uh, uh, and not just Jewish Israelis, Arab Israelis and others that we've sat down with about where things weren't right or where things are going to have to change. Um, the, the other sort of nuance that doesn't come through is, is the trauma. Um, the, there are, there, when 1,400 people are murdered in one day, every one of them has a story, and every one of them is connected to a lot of other people. So there's not a single person uh, I've met here, even when I include you know, someone in a restaurant, someone in an office building that wasn't part of our, our, our formal tour, that didn't have a cousin or someone they served with or someone they went to camp with uh, or their partner that uh, isn't directly tracked back to someone who was murdered or kidnapped. And then you get the story of, this is this person's life. This is, you know, um, well, yesterday I was, I was standing next to uh, someone at the, the Nova Music Festival site, you know, an EDM festival, like a mini Burning Man, where 394 people were murdered and, and ran into a Canadian that was also visiting the site in tribute. And we knew people together. He's an optometrist in Ottawa. We were only talking for a few minutes before we realized who our mutual friends were. And then, you know, he told me, Friends of his daughter were at the festival and left at 4 a.m. because they were tired. And if mm. they stayed two more hours, you know, the, the odds on chance are that they would have been murdered, too. Um, this conflict isn't far away from anyone no. who lives here. No. So when it's reduced to just a foreign policy debate about who's right or who's wrong or how you negotiate future peace, people haven't emerged from the basic trauma of grieving for loved ones. Chad, we're running out of time. I really appreciate you taking a few moments to connect with us today. Good luck with the rest of your trip. Thank you for uh, for having me on.
Chad Rogers, partner at Crestview Strategy over in Israel as part of a Canadian group and part of the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs that are visiting, talking, and relating with everyday Israelis about the horror that they have gone through since October the 7th. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Just had a good conversation with Chad Rogers, live from Israel, on a bus nonetheless. No wonder we dropped the call. Uh, we were able to get him back, I think. Frank, uh, tech producer who always can scramble in that time, make a quick call overseas again and within about a minute and a half get him back on the air but i thought it was it was really interesting to listen to the work that chad and the rest of the group that are with the center for israel and jewish affairs over in israel meeting with everyday people who lived through the attacks on the 7th lost loved ones in the attack in many ways in many cases have community members or loved ones that are still missing and part of the hostage capture that hamas has and trying to get to a place where they restore everyday life. I mean, I think it's safe to say they won't. They won't ever restore. It'll be a new normal that they will achieve. But how does that happen when the threat of Hamas and the, the ideology that they follow is is still there? We'll, we'll hopefully be able to check in with someone from this group that are overseas in Israel again before they uh, come back to Canada. Coming up, I want to uh, dig into... Doug Cuthan's article that I read in the Star Phoenix, he is the Indigenous Affairs columnist for the Star Phoenix in the Regina Leader Post, and just wrote an article yesterday about his thoughts on what needs to happen to prevent another tragedy like the James Smith Cree Nation from happening again. And we know, we talked to Lisa Schick, our senior reporter, this morning, we should be hearing in the next couple of days recommendations from the jury about what needs to happen to prevent that from happening again. Doug has a perspective on this, and I enjoy checking in with him. He will join us next, right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.